Growing up, one of the ways that I drew closest to God was by singing some of the worship songs that were a part of our uh, children's jar kids at the time. And uh, there was one particular song growing up as a kid that just really helped me connect with God. Would you like to hear it? Uh, it's about 50-50 right now. Would you like to hear it? <clears throat> okay, it went like this. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with the capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. Now, I promise I will not sing anymore for the rest of the time. So, but when I would listen to that song, all of a sudden I'd be like, you know what? I'm God's promise. And I have potential and there's possibility that regardless of what other people might say, that God really thinks that there's something special about me. And throughout my life, there have been multiple times where there have been a, a worship song or two that have come into my life and it's captured my heart and it's captured my soul and I've got to understand God better and I've had a chance to be able to grow closer to him because of a song. And about a year ago, Caleb, the guy who led worship here, uh, we hired him and he came in and he, he introduced us to a new song called Reckless Love. And when I first listened to this song, it just like just took my whole being and I thought, this is so powerful. Because in this song, it actually tells the entire story of the Bible within this four to five kind of minute song. And so today, we're going to do something a little bit different to start off the new year, but to encourage us. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through this song, and we're going to listen to the verse, first, first verse, and I'll talk about it, then the second verse, and then I'll talk about it, and then the chorus, and I'll talk about it. But what's really cool about this song is that it kind of gives us the entire Bible in three acts. The very first act, and this is your first fill-in, is act number one, which was intention. That God's intention at the very beginning was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and he taught us kind of how we were going to be designed and that we would live in paradise and all would be great. And that was act one. And then we go on to act two, which is distortion. In Genesis chapter 3, it only took two chapters, but finally in Genesis chapter 3, there is a fall of humanity. Everyone who was created at that time, which was just Adam and Eve, they fall in all sin. And they, from that time all the way up until Jesus' birth, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, all in the Old Testament, everything else, people wanted to be their own boss. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to be their own leader, their own king, their own God. And distortion came to the plan. But then there came Act 3. And in Act 3, Jesus enters and he redeems all things. Not just to give people a ticket to heaven, but to where everything was redeemed all at once. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this song because in this song, in verse 1, it is intention. In verse 2, we find distortion. 
And then in verse 3, we actually, or in the chorus, we actually see Act 3 come apart where everything is restored and made new. Now, just so some of you don't leave right now, I'm not going to sing, okay? But Caleb is going to lead us in these, and what will happen is the words will come on the screen, but I don't want you to sing. I just want you to listen to these powerful words of Scripture and allow them to kind of wash over you, and then we'll explain it through Scripture. So let's listen to verse 1. spoke a word you were singing over me you've been so so good to me before I took a breath So, so kind to me. So, verse 1. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so kind to me. Now, I don't know about you, but something changes in my life whenever a baby comes into my path. So, for instance, this week I went out to uh, lunch with a person in our church who just had a baby, and the baby's there, and we're at this table, and all of a sudden I'm going, and all of a sudden I get my fingers on the table, and I start walking it across towards the baby, and I'm trying to do anything to get this baby to smile or do something. And I see people do silly things all the time in the lobby with babies. We have several young families with young children, and you'll see them out there, and they'll be like, I'll do anything to get you to smile. What can I do? Woo! You know? And, and they do all this kind of stuff. And I've seen these young families, and what they'll do often, too, is I'll see them singing over their children. Now, what's ironic is that these children can't talk. They can't do anything. They can't communicate hardly. They can't do the squat. And these people are singing over them. And you know what's crazy? When Jordan and Shiloh were little babies, that's what we would do. We would get them and we would just sing over them, even though they were just slobbering and just a mess. We would sing over them. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Zephaniah, and this is what it says. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with what? With singing. I love this verse because it is the trueness of intention. Before you and I ever spoke a word, before we were even out of our mother's womb, there was this God who was singing over us. He was singing over you. 
You know, for many of us in this room today, you know, one of our biggest struggles comes when it deals with performance. We think, well, man, I've got to perform so much for someone to like me. I'm only as good as I perform. I'm only as good as I produce. And we're reminded, though, at the very beginning, God wasn't concerned about any of that. He was just concerned about you and singing over you. From the beginning of your existence, God was singing over you. I love what it says in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says these words, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. Folks, God is so good to us. He gives us perfect gifts. He loves to give good stuff to every single one of us. And it's not because of what we do, but it's because of what He's done in our lives. The second part of this verse then goes on to say this, Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. When I see that verse, I imagine an artist in their studio. And the artist bends down and he takes up the elements that he has, which is dirt and dust. And he starts molding and he starts shaping whatever art piece that he has. That's the elements that he has to work with. And he molds and shapes it to a point where he gets this. And all of a sudden he stops and he takes his breath and he breathes his breath into his art life. And all of a sudden, a living being is created. And you might remember in Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Then the Lord your God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living, breathing being. It's so powerful to Think of God creating this gift, the gift of human life. And then in Psalm 139, it says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. Folks, you were fearfully And wonderfully made. And yet, as we begin this new year, I have a feeling that some of you are sitting in your chair right now. And some of you doubt your purpose. You're you're kind of not so sure what, what it is you're supposed to be doing with your one and only life. And I want you to know, though, that God has knit you together with a reason, with a purpose. He has great things for you in this new year. And he wants to fulfill them all. He gave each of you unique gifts and talents that he didn't give to other people. And he wants you to use them for his honor. But for many of you, you may be sitting there doubting this. And I pray that in this new year that you'll actually begin to start seeing yourself in the mirror the way that God does when he sang over you and created his perfect gift. Because this is the story of intention. Well, then the song goes on into verse 2, and it kind of gives us a second kind of piece, which is distortion. And let's listen now to this verse.
your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. I don't know about you, but when I think about myself, I like to stay in the intention story. Uh, I like to stay in that story where everything is good and all is well, and I'm doing the straight and narrow and all is good. But before you and I were ever followers of Christ, we were enemies of God. We were foes. We were against him. I mean, again, I like to stay with the intention story. I like to stay with the story where I'm a good person and all is well and things go great. But I often don't want to even think about myself being a foe to God, that I'm his enemy. In fact, I think for many of us, we don't even like to talk about that three-letter word, sin. And the choices we make and the decisions we make and the actions we create. Now, the word sin actually means to drift. It means to miss the mark. It means to go your own way. And the truth is that we've all sinned. Look what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's the penalty for that sin? It says here, for the wages of sin is death. See, this is what happens, folks. Sin kills things. Sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, it always kills things. Death in relationship. In fact, you can see it sometimes within generations. Something happened in one generation and that sin impacts the the next one. We see the pain and the choices That we bring when our choices are sinful and they hurt others. And yet for many of us, we really don't like to engage within that. I mean, the truth is, we've all made choices, we've all made decisions, we've all had behaviors, and we've committed acts that have been very sinful and have hurt people around us. You know, when I've been listening to this song, and I bet I've listened to it a couple hundred times over the past year, I have been confronted with the fact that there is distortion in my story. Reminding me of choices that I've made. Reminding me of things that I've said. People that I've heard. The way that I've fallen short of His glory. That I actually have been a foe to God. Now, I know if you're like me, this is how we try to get over this foe thing. We do something like this. Well... My distortion, though, compared to this person, is so much better. I mean, compared to what they did, man, I look like a saint. I mean, compared to someone else, and we start doing this comparison of our sin. But the truth is, folks, all sin is equal at the foot of the cross. You and I, you know what we do? We rank sin. 
Oh, mine's not as bad as that one. But that's not what God does. God sees it all equal. During uh, college, I had the opportunity to run on the track team. And uh, did pretty well. Actually got a school record. You know, I'm not saying anything. Got broke the next week. But, hey, I had it for a week, you know. And so I ran uh, college and track. And one of the things that's different between track in college at Manchester College where I went to and high school track is when you're in college track, you lift weights. We never lifted weights in high school. But in college, we lifted weights all the time. And I'll never forget being in the weight room one day, and there were all of these big shot put people, and they had these big bars with 45s, you know, on each side, and they're lifting it. And just before this one guy gets ready to do his bench, he looks over this way and he goes, hey, you, I need a spot. And I was standing over here, and I'm thinking to myself, they think I'm strong, that I can do this. And I get ready to start walking towards it. And this guy goes, no, not you, the guy beside you. And I look beside me, and this monster of a man comes over, pushes me aside, and says, yeah, I'll help you. And so the guy gets ready to lift his uh, bench press with all of these 45s. And he gets about halfway there, and he gets stuck. Let me ask you. Have you ever gotten stuck with some choices in your life? Have you ever got to the point where you were stuck in addiction? You were stuck in a struggle. You were stuck in some behavior. You're stuck and you can't do it on your own. And the weight of it all is just coming down further and further. And what you desire and what you need more than anything else is for someone to be a spot for you. And that's when, folks, that's when the greatest news, Jesus Christ comes into your life and he becomes your spotter. And his good news comes and he helps lift up the weight that you can't do on your own. I love what it says in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when you're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and he spotted us. And he died on a cross because of his love for you. Verse 2 then goes on to say these words. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so So kind to me. Folks, this is where the enemy often gets into our heads. It's right here. It's when you feel the weight and you feel stuck and you start hearing this voice in your head. You're not good enough. You're not enough. And they pull back everything from your past, all your shame, all your guilt, all the regrets that you've had. And you'll begin to hear this. This insecurity and fear, this voice that says you can't make it, you can't do it. And when that happens in life, folks, this book right here becomes the most powerful weapon, the greatest spot in your life. And as you open up these words, the assaults of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, they don't speak truth because you're able to read what God thinks about 
you. Reminding you who you are and whose you are and that he has great plans for your life. Folks, when you feel unworthy, remember this. God says you're chosen. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. You are God's chosen and special people. You are, a gr- you are a group of royal priests and a holy nation. God has brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When you feel like you're insecure, and maybe some of you are there today, you feel insecure about the way you look or the way that you are, God looks to you and he says, I've got this. Deuteronomy 33.12 says this, The Lord's loved ones will lie down in safety because he protects them all day long. The ones he loves rest with him. You can rest with God all day long. Or if you're ever feeling afraid, maybe for some of you, you feel afraid with something in your life. Isaiah 43.1 says this, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Or you, when you feel like you're unlovable, hear what God says in these words, these powerful words. He says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, folks, absolutely nothing will ever be able to separate you from God's love. And when you feel forgotten, when you feel neglected, when you feel abandoned, here is what God says. He says, you're always on my mind. Isaiah 49, I will not forget you. For some of you, that should be your verse for the year. You should circle it, memorize it, take a picture right now. I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Think about that. Your name, folks, your name is engraved on the palms of God's hands. But the enemy will come. And he will try to put things in your head to say that you're not enough. And it's in those moments, folks, it's so important that you open up his word. You don't have to read tons of verses. You just need a daily dose of verses in your life. We have a reading plan out there. But for some of you, 2020 should be the year where you reconnect with God's words. Because if you don't, folks, the enemy will gain ground. And it will be another year where you don't move Too much forward because you don't have his words and your story in your mind. Because remember, in this new year, when you are down, when you feel unworthy, remind yourself of the words that I just shared with you, that you can take God's word and you can experience the kindness of God in your life. I love the last part of verse 2. It says these words, You have been so... So kind to me. God's a kind God. He loves to do kind things for each one of us. You know, one of the beauties of 
Scripture is that it gives us words that actually help us in life. And one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture is the word repentance. Now, when you hear that word repent, most of the time, what you think of is someone that looks like this. Someone yelling, turn or burn, right? But that's not what this word repent means at all. But what it actually means is that you would actually return home. You're going one way, you're doing your own thing, you're, you're going into a foreign land, and then all of a sudden it's like, return home, come back home, it's better here. Repentance is returning back to God, returning home. Now this is what I have a feeling. Some of you in 2019, you've been drifting. You have. You've been drifting away from God. But this is what's so great about returning home. It only takes one step. To return home. You don't have to run all the way back. He just says, I'll be looking for you whenever you take your one step. And he says, when you do that, you come back to me. I'm waiting for you because I love you. You're worthy in my sight. Well, verse 1 is intention. Verse 2 is distortion. And then finally, we get to the chorus, and this is where we have restoration. And I know many of you know the chorus, but again, I'd like you to just listen to it and let it rest on you. Let it wash over you. Let's listen. It's just like it's never ending. It's just 
overwhelming. It just keeps going and going and going. And you watch it and you start imagining, like, where did that wave start and how did it get here? And how far has it come? And it never stops because there's one right behind it. And I love this part of the chorus that says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Now, when you think of that word reckless, though, you often probably think, well, that doesn't really like kind of define who God is. I mean, we don't, we don't want God to be reckless because if God is reckless, we're all kind of reckless in our life. So, so what does this mean? What does this word mean? Well, the writer of the song, a guy by the name of Corey Asbury, he explains what this word reckless means. And this is what he said. When I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. He is utterly concerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety and comfort and well-being. We go on to the next one. His love bankrupted heaven for you. His love doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away. The recklessness of his love is seen most clearly in this. It gets him hurt over and over. Make no mistake, our sin pains his heart. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times to have your heart broken. And yet he opens up. And he allows it to happen every single time. Corey's words are so powerful. They're so profound that the reckless love of God is overwhelming. It is never ending. Folks, let me ask you this morning. What is your primary motivator for 2020? When it comes to your life and where you're at, what's going to motivate and what's going to be the primary primary motivator for this new year? Is it your identity? Is it your status? Is it your position? Or is it the reckless love of God? Folks, when his love becomes the essence of who you are, it absolutely changes everything. The second line of the chorus goes on to say, oh, it chases me down fights till I'm found, till I'm found, leaves the 99. Now this line right here comes directly from the Bible in Luke chapter 15. And this is what the story is told. Now the tax collectors, now tax collectors were like our IRS agents. Everybody hated them, okay? Now the tax collectors and sinners, who were the sinners? They were all of the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, anyone. They were the scum. They were outsiders. We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. So here's the outcast. Here's the people that are on the margins. Here's the people that society doesn't want anything to do with. They're all around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. These are the people that are on the inside. These are the social elites. These are the people that are the high and mighty of the culture. They muttered this. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep 
until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And what does that word mean? Return home. Come back home. He says, if you come back home, then over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Folks, this is who Jesus is. The person that you came in to hear about today was a person who hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and the people that society wanted absolutely nothing to do with. He sat around people who actually didn't want to have anything to do with God. He sat around people who never thought they would ever even be welcomed into the presence of God. And he says, I'll leave the other 99 to chase the one. So what about you? Who is it that you're going to chase in 2020? Who is it in your circle of influence that everybody else has given up and ignored and said, forget them? Who is that person in your life that you will chase after with the reckless love of God? The chorus goes on to say this. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You know what our entire world tells us? You earn Everything. Everything that you have is because you earn it. You earn your grades in school. You earn your playing time on the basketball court or on the, on the uh, field. You earn your position in your company. You earn your title. You earn your status. You earn your position. But there is one thing, folks, in this world that you cannot earn. No matter how hard you try, and it's God's grace. It's His salvation. It's a relationship with Him. You can't earn it. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is, it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. From an early age, every single one of us are said, you've got to climb higher. You've got to work harder. You've got to strive more. But grace teaches us something totally different from the world. And it says this. It says you don't have to climb. You don't have to reach. You don't have to strive. Just receive. It's a free gift given to you. It's when you come to your senses and say, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet he chooses to give his grace and his mercy and his love away. I love the words that Paul gives to his apprentice, Timothy. He says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul, this guy wrote over half of the New Testament. He's considered Jesus' closest 
disciple. And the scripture says, folks, that he calls himself the worst, the absolute worst of all the sinners. He was a murderer. He persecuted people. He shamed people. He beat people. He had pride. He had eagle. He saw himself as the worst. And he said this, only God could save someone like him. You know, I think there are many times in my life as Chris Bunch, I want to downplay all the mess in my life. Perfect example, I'll try to be as transparent as I can in short. Yesterday, my girls want to go to Kincannons. And we're running late for something. And the teenager starts getting an attitude. And I started yelling at her. And I looked around and yelled more and yelled more and brought her to tears. That's your pastor, folks. I don't deserve it. And yet he sends his love to me. And I remember looking back at Jordan and saying, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be this kind of dad. And she forgave me and went on. And then this morning in my prayer time, I'm listening to God. And I just get this prompting in my spirit. Chris, you tell those people that that story today. Because the Father is never like you, Chris. The Father never turns around in the back of the seat and starts yelling and screaming and going off and acting like an idiot and a fool at Concannons. He looks down and he loves us with the reckless, amazing love of God. Well, finally, you just have to realize, folks, that he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And because of that, he gives us a bridge with these powerful words of this song. Let's listen to it. Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. I love that phrase. There's no wall that he won't kick down. Folks, God doesn't want to just give you a free ticket to heaven. So you can do whatever he actually, you know what God wants to do? He wants to restore and redeem everything in your life, all the parts. 
And from the beginning of Scripture, the first words that he spoke, there's darkness all around. And what does he say? He looks at the darkness and he says, let there be light. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Whether it's with an addiction or a struggle or a behavior, he says, bring it all, everything that you're hiding, everything that you're trying to bury. And he says, bring it there and I will actually bring light into it. He wants to bring healing and redemption and restoration to what it is of every addiction struggle that you might have. Where there's anxiety that you feel like you can't go on, depression where you feel so discouraged, he says, I want to come in and I want to spot you, to lift you, to help you out so that you can get over that, to get over your control issues and your anger issues in my own life. He wants to set you free today and that's the beauty that God is making everything new and he wants all to may be made whole and holy the bridge then goes on there's no mountain you won't light up no or there's no shadow you won't light up no mountain you won't climb up Jesus carried a cross i don't know if you knew this or not but he actually carried a cross up a mountain. And as he's carrying this cross up the mountain, guess what he's thinking about? You. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about all the people in the balcony. And up the mountain, he says, I'm going to take on everything. Every act that they've ever done, every word that they've ever said, every sin you've ever committed, he says, I'll take it on myself to the cross. And he says, I'm coming after you. He says, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep chasing after you until I have all of your mind and all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your life. He wants it all, the goodness to be pursued. He wants to give it to you. And then the fourth line of the bridge is, there is no wall you won't kick down. God doesn't want any barriers, folks. He doesn't. He doesn't want to do it. So he'll kick down every barrier and every wall in your life. He longs to kick down every barrier, every wall that separates and divides you from him. And then finally, the last line, no lie you won't tear down. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I, I've been pretty transparent. I hope your hearts are right now too. But this is what I want to say. Some of you have been believing some lies for far, far too long in your life. Some of you have been walking through the nice little church Christian thing, but the reality is in the dark moments of your life, you're listening to the lies. Something that somebody said to you, when you look in the mirror, you listen to a different lie. Something that happened in your past and you won't ever believe that you're forgiven for it, even though God has already forgiven. And you're believing in these lies. And he wants to set you free at the beginning of this year. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says this, if you want to know what God's address is, it's at the end of your rope. At the end of your rope, you know where, where you find God? Right there. When you come to the end of your rope, folks, and some of you might be there this morning, when you're at the end of your rope, 
That's where God is. And he reminds us, don't believe the lies. Believe what I say about you. Open up and see that in this book, it is a pursuit of God reaching out to you to let you know how incredibly loved you are because of his reckless love that comes to you. For most of my life, folks, I just wore a mask. I just kind of tried to pretend to be something that I wasn't. And every time I would mess up, I would hide more and hide more and hide more because I thought to be close to God, I had to fly straighter and work harder and do more for him to like me. And when at the age of 26, I finally understood his reckless love that accosted me and said, I want you to change and I want you to be different, but there will be nothing in your life that will ever keep me from loving you. Let me ask you this morning, where did you find God's reckless love for your life? Was it in a conversation with a friend? Was it at a church camp? Was it at a Christmas Eve celebration? Was it at an Easter celebration? Was it when you were reading the Bible and you were opening up those words? Was it a time when you were driving in your car and all of a sudden you heard a song and you were just overwhelmed by the love of God? And maybe the freshest way for some of you to start 2020 is to just set a reset. God, I need a reset. For some of you, 2019 was a very hard year. And you drifted away and you drifted away. And now you've drifted back. And the whole reason that you're here this Sunday is so that you can have a reset to your life. And for others of you, maybe... This is the first time you've ever been to the jar, the first time you've ever been to church, and you're actually taking a moment right now to think to yourself, I want this reckless love of God. I I want to receive it today. And he wants to give it, folks. He really does. So this is how we're going to close today. I think we should sing that song one last time. And when I ask you to stand up and sing it in just a moment, I want you to reflect back on, for some of you, that time when you experienced the reckless love of God. You were wrecked by His love for the first time in your life. And maybe for others of you who are here, you've never done that. Today could be your day where you sing and you go, I want His love in my life. But I don't want to just have people sing like, oh, reckless love of God. I want it to be from the deepest part of your heart that we would worship and praise God for his reckless love in our life. So let's stand as Caleb and the band.
shadows they may have that you would bring them to the light knowing that you are good you never walk away and you're constantly coming after us maybe today is the day for you to come home in the reckless love of God maybe today is the day for you to say yes God I need your forgiveness I need your love I need your grace I need your forgiveness Maybe today is your day to surrender to Him. To say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And if that's you right now, I invite you to simply share a prayer after me. In fact, I invite us all to sing this from our hearts, but we say it with our mouths. These words, this prayer that we lift up to the God who loves us so much. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, Forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. I know you're good. I know you're kind. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. If you did pray that, please come to one of our prayer folks. They'd love to pray with you, give you a free gift. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks.